Welcome to All The Things, a podcast for moms seeking an inspired life. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Chin. I am a writer and a coach, and my most passionate truth is that the world needs the real you. That's why I created this podcast, to discover all the things that make us who we are, because the better we understand ourselves, the more good we can do in the world. So let's do that together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I am just so deeply honored and excited that my friend Regina is joining us today for this conversation. I wanted to first acknowledge that I am speaking and podcasting from the traditional and unceded territories of the Nipmuc and Massachusetts, Massachusetts tribes. Um, the, I share a land acknowledgement before every podcast, if you haven't tuned in before, and this the purpose of it is to really ground the conversation because while we are talking about usually very privileged topics on this podcast, there is this underlying systemic, systemic racism and oppression that's happening in, especially in our country, um, in the U.S., that should not be unnoted in these conversations. So I want to first acknowledge that. And today we are talking about, I don't know if it was my favorite topic last year, but it's kind of like my favorite topic this year, which is money. Yeah. So <laughs> I am, I'm going to introduce Regina and then we'll just get started. Regina is a certified master NLP transformational coach. She has a master's degree in change management and organizational development. And her model of coaching is rooted in transformative learning, neuroscience and quantum physics, allowing access to the subconscious patterns that keep us stuck, especially around money. And Regina has been able to design and lead conscious change work seminars for impactful and lasting breakthroughs for her clients in their businesses, personal relationships, and communities. And I can personally speak to how amazing she is in that area. She is astute at helping her clients uncover their unconscious blocks that prevent them from having the experience of money and life they desire. And her sense of humor, compassion, and commitment make her of course, it's fun, impactful, transformative on multiple levels. And her humor, compassion, and commitment in general as a person, just, I'm, like I said, deeply honored to have <laughs> you on. So thank you, Regina, for joining us today. Of course. Thank you, Lisa. So happy to be here. And thank you, everyone, for, who's listening. It's always a pleasure uh, and a joy to be able to share this work and help people however I can. So this first season is People I Know. So I'd love to um, have you orient the audience to kind of how we know each other. Great. So we met through a seminar called The Marketing Seminar. It's put on by Seth Godin. And I was really there myself to talk about the work that I do and kind of formulate it for my website so I can get um, kind of an understanding of how I wanted to present it to the world. And I got a lot of validation of how impactful this work is. And I connected with, with Lisa, with you, because um, I really enjoyed enjoyed our engagement, um, your insights, your thought-provoking questions, and what you are creating, um, your approach, and your compassion towards mothers really resonated with me as a person, as a new mom, and as a woman. And I really appreciated that. And I was like, ooh, I want to know this person. Mm. Thank you. And I remember, I mean, I, I was, I don't think I was scouring the pages, but there's, I mean, there were, I think there were hundreds if maybe not a thousand people in that seminar. Um, so it's amazing when you find people, right? Like, out of all yeah. of that. And 
I remember reading some of your first posts and I said, this person, I need to know who she is because she is talking about money in a way that I haven't heard about before. And it resonated so deeply within me because I've, I've read about money. I've looked at like all different ways of approaching it and trying to figure out like, how do I manage my money stories, my money blocks? And when I saw you writing about it, it kind of like, it threw me, I was like looking at it over here, like straight on. And it like threw me onto the other side of like the court. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is a totally different way of looking at it. And it makes so much sense. And so that said, I'd love for you to share with the audience, like what it is that, um, like how you approach money and like, how do you view it? Because like I said, it's just, I haven't heard about it before. I really think it's so insightful. Oh, thank you. So I really look at money as a lens, a lens for how we engage with life, how we do or do not value ourselves. It illuminates and really magnifies whatever our sense of self-worth is, our deserving and our sense of validity is really shows up in how we handle money, either ours or other people's. I mean, I can chat with someone about their current experience around money and understand um, how their younger selves view the world, which is contributing to their unwanted experience around money today as adults. So we form beliefs about our self-worth, our deserving, and our validity by the age of six, if not much younger. And then those patterns run 24-7 for most of us. And so any upsets that you have around money today are most likely there because they were sourced by, um, from belief patterns of a much younger self who was trying to make sense of their world at that time, who didn't have all of their um, capacity. So I always tell people, be really kind with yourself. People will say, oh my God, I've been dealing with this forever. I get money, no money. I get money or no money. Or I can never break through this thing or I'm always struggling, just have enough or never have enough or whatever it is. And they beat themselves up and get um, feel shame or guilt around it. And the truth is it's not your fault. There's a much younger version of you that put a belief in place and a strategy in place for whatever was going on that no longer suits your adult world for what you want. And your system is still running that belief pattern. And so um, those are just outdated. It's like running old software, you know, like an old floppy disk. And you're trying to put it in your new Mac Air and you're like, I don't know where the floppy disk goes. And you're <laughs> frustrated, right? Because there's a whole new system and it's really clunky in your old, um, with your old patterns. So it's about updating the patterns in your brain and how it relates to money, which actually, again, is just a magnifier for how we relate to ourselves. And when we can change that on the inside, then actually money and life and yourself show up differently in the world. You just share like a boatload of information. So I'm going to try to break it down because I think it's so, um, and, and having known you for the past year and having been a client of yours from both a private and from a group standpoint, I've, I feel like I can talk a little bit about it. Um, I have a better understanding of it, right? So I've had a practice, but I think for the, the listener on the other side, is it's a lot to take in. So you shared, like, by the age of six, these patterns that we've developed have kind of taken hold <laughs> in our brains. What does that actually mean? Like, can you share an example of, like, something that would cause a pattern to be created and then, like, why that pattern just sticks with us, like why there there aren't other things that kind of override it as we are growing up? Absolutely. It has to do a lot with um, where your brain is at. So when we're in utero, 
your reptilian brain, your career brain that's located at the base of your skull, the top of your spinal cord, is fully in function. And that brain deals with fight, flight, freeze. And then your cerebral cortex, which is the executive functioning brain up here, doesn't come fully online until you're in your early mid-20s. So you have a really long time where the reptilian brain or the critter brain is running most of the show. And so when that happens, like a, a child is very young and they have stress in their environment, it may not even be stress for them. It may be stress with their parents, their living situation. Um, they don't know how to make sense of it because they don't have this cerebral cortex that we have as adults. They have more, I mean, it's there, but it's still forming and coming online. And even they don't have language yet. All they know is feeling and experience. So there may be tension. There may be fear that they feel from a parent, a grandparent, whatever. And they go, <gasps> and all they can do is <gasps> there's fear. There's me, must be me. And it doesn't even um, link together as language. It just links together as experience. And so if there's <gasps> this, then it must be me. There's something wrong with me. And what can happen then is when they go to do things that they want in life is that pattern sh uh, shows up and it gets triggered and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't go there. Oh, I can't do that. And you feel that sensation as an adult and you don't know why. You just know it doesn't feel good to pursue that. Think about that. Do that action or whatever it is. So you recoil from it or you may try to use your willpower, which is really battling yourself to push through it. So an example I'll give of myself. Um, as an adult, <laughs> I love to travel, but I there's I, I had this thing that would show up. It'd be this freeze of I can't go, I can't do it, can't go, and it would just be instantaneous when someone invited me to their wedding. First thing it was like at a state, and who doesn't go? I got invited to go to a wedding in Hawaii. Who doesn't want to go to a wedding in Hawaii? Um, and I was like, I had the time and money, but I was like, oh, can't go, or different events like that. And again, I love to travel, and I didn't want to be restricted by that anymore. I wanted more freedom in my life. So I was learning this work. I brought this issue to, to the practice. And what I uncovered was there was a time when I was about three years old, and I don't remember this consciously, but it's an imprint that was in my brain, kind of like a slide in those old slide projectors, you know, that sits here. And it was me trying to leave my grandparents' yard. And my father yelled at me because it was dangerous on the other side of the yard. There's cars out there. There was cattle out there. And so he yelled at me to come back inside. And my little self went, <gasps> because there's this big grown man who's yelling at me. <gasps> like, you know, that's like the feeling of trouble and scared. And what my brain connected that to was it's not safe to explore the world. So every time I wanted to go explore the world on my own, this imprint was there, again, like a slide and an old projector. And I would look through that fear as I looked at going to Y. Look through that fear as I looked to visiting a friend. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, <gasps> can't do it can't do it. And I couldn't place where that came from, why I felt that way. It was just there. So with the tools that I use, um, you can actually re-imprint it. You can shift it. And literally, we did it in like a half hour um, once you uncover what it is. And that was like on a Sunday. By Tuesday, I'd gotten an email from this couple I know um, casually who are throwing a birthday party in New Orleans, which is many states away from me. Normally I wouldn't even go because I don't know them that well. And, they, and I had my plane and my hotel booked within 20 minutes. It was just done. And I did not have any of this. It wasn't even a small whimper. It was just like, oh. And all of a sudden I realized, wait, I just booked that? It's like this? Never existed because it had been shifted 
it, it just didn't exist. I couldn't actually find that experience in my body as I tried to relocate it as a memory. So um, that's an example of what, of what I do. And so before you found kind of the various techniques that you use, which we'll definitely get into, were you aware of your, that reaction or did you just see it as normal? Yeah, I saw it as normal. And I'd be like, no, I can't go. I can't go. I knew that there was something that other people could do, but I was like, yeah, I just don't want to deal with this. And I'll even say, um, it's as simple as like wanting to go to the gym and I'm like, oh God, I can't go to the gym. And I get close to the door and this is a different imprint I had. And I'm like, mm, I'll watch Netflix and order pizza. And the guilt and shame I had around eating a whole pizza and watching Netflix instead of going to the gym was less painful than crossing that threshold to go to the gym. Wow. And I had to re-imprint that too. It's really interesting whatever um, shows up and how it shows up in different parts of our life. I knew that I just considered myself a procrastinator or lazy. And so I'd blame myself. I'd shame myself. I'd feel guilty. So um, I didn't really, I couldn't see it as this is just what my younger self did to survive and to make sense of their world. I saw it as something was wrong with me as an adult because I should know better. Other people go to the gym. Other people go on trips. And I didn't want to share it because I also, again, was embarrassed. <laughs> well, it's amazing because like how many times do we say like, oh, it's just me, right? And I'll, I'll share kind of when after what I think my first session with you, I wasn't sure what I was really getting into. I, I tell people all the time, like I signed up for your work instant, like without hesitation. I say, I ne I've never clicked a PayPal link quicker <laughs> than after our initial call. And, and then we did the session and then I was just kind of like, I don't know, like, how do I know anything's changed? Right. And then I went and I went to log into my credit card and I just noticed I didn't have this like wave of anxiety as I'm like typing in the, um, the password. And I was just like, oh, it was almost like I was just logging into like my work, you know, account or something like that. It was just like really nothing to it. And I, and I hadn't even realized that there was this like this normal experience, that, that experience of having that anxiety was normal, normalized within me. And it wasn't until it was gone that I realized I had it. That's great. I just had a client ex uh, express the same thing where she has a hard time leaving the house and she like being sweats and have anxiety and we've worked together and she was driving to meet, you know, some family friends and all of a sudden she goes, Oh, I'm not sweating. I don't have anxiety. This is what most people must experience when they leave the house. It's this easy for them. And she was almost like she was, it was an odd experience because she'd never been there before. She'd never been so, um, uh, lacking in the anxiety, absent of the absence of the stress and the sweating and anxiety. She was like, wow, I don't know myself in this place, but I'm glad I'm here. And wow, what a different experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you said before, which I never thought about it this way. You said willpower is basically you're just battling yourself. Yes. Uh, I'd never seen it that way, but it's so clear now. Yes, and the consciousness um, like of change work has changed over the decades. So in the 80s and 90s, it was very much like, be your word, be your intention, do this thing, be focused. It, and there's a lot that, that may work for people, 
But when you're talking about different parts of your brain, where your conscious brain wants the freedom of choice to travel and to go to the gym, and this part of your brain is saying, uh-uh, 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 uh you're battling those two. And so if one side wins, you're like, or if the willpower wins and you get yourself to the gym, it's like, then you have this expectation you can do it every time. And part of you feels a little defeated. I see it a lot with dessert, like choosing dessert or not. And then the next time, if you try to go to the gym and you don't go, you feel defeated that you couldn't do it because you've done it before, yet part of you didn't want to go. And so there's this constant win-lose, win-lose on both sides. And that's not a useful experience in life. A useful experience is just choosing. Do I want to go to the gym or not? Versus that battle, that internal struggle, and then the meaning we make about ourselves, whichever way it goes, Mm. is tough. Mm-hmm. You, so when we, you said that, like, you know, you had this kind of imprint from when you were three years old, you couldn't, rec- you can't recall it exactly, but that's what it was. And there are times when, you know, I feel like we make up stories, like in our heads, almost like when I, when I'm trying to like explore something and I'm like, oh, maybe it's because of this, maybe it's because of this, like, how do we know it's that, like, how do we know that, that this thing that we've, like, like the, the credit card anxiety that I have, like, I don't know what it was linked to, honestly. Um, well, it's probably linked to a lot of things, but, um, but how do we, like, if I were to come to some sort of conclusion, I was like, oh, well, yeah, I always do this because I, um, like, I always have anxiety going to see my mom because I, you know, I don't know, like, when I was younger, I, I walked into her room by accident, and she yelled at me, something like that, like, and, and Sometimes, like, I think before this work, I would have thought something like that was kind of ridiculous, mm. honestly, because it's like, yeah, like, I'm just totally making that up. And I, I don't know, I, I don't know where I'm, I want to go with this, but it just feels like there is, I'm sh- like, I know that I have things that, like, I believe are true because I just feel like they are. Mm-hmm. And, like, how valid is that? Or is it? does it even matter if it's valid, like valid or not? If like, if you just think it's true, then it, it is true. Like, I get where you're going with this. Cause I will have a lot of times people will say, well, I don't have a memory for that, but I know people told me the story about myself when I was four or when I was two. And I don't know. And sometimes that's what they'll access when we're going through the, the exercises and it's fine. What I do is I just trust your system. Um, whether it's something that you remember or something that, you intuitively feel is, is, is right or is the answer, I will ask a lot of times, what's the youngest version of you? And just whatever number comes to head. We just, we have to allow your system to tell us. And even if it feels like you're making it up, you're making it up from somewhere. And I also um, hold the stance in the space that there is a large part of you that wants this change, that actually wants to not be inhibited by these patterns, these beliefs anymore. So your system is actually giving us the information of what's most in the way and also where to find it. So I always tell people in this work and they go, Oh my God, now I'm really upset or um, I'm really scared about doing this work, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to take the exercise. I'm like, great, because your system is telling us what's most in the way. So that is a wonderful thing. So let's um, dig into that. Right. And then we can shift that and then we can see what's behind that and we can keep going because there is so much of you unconscious and otherwise that does want more freedom, more choice, more um, able to be yourself. 
and safety and love that it wants to show you what's in the way. So we just work in that space and just trust what shows up is what we need to see. Mm. I love that. And I think that this is a good time to kind of talk about the various techniques that you use because it also I hadn't been exposed to to that array of what you do. So I'd love for you to walk through um, all the things. All the things. So it's basically NLP, which is Neuro Linguistics Programming, which is the language of the brain. There's a lot of NLP out in the world. There's a lot of people doing it. It's not um, held to a certain standard like therapy is um, or other modalities. So, but what I've specifically studied is called transformational NLP, which doesn't use formulaic approaches. It really sits with um, what the client is going through, how they've set up their model of the world, how they see the world, how they interact with themselves in that world, so that you can actually get in rapport and stand in that world with them and then help reframe it and revise the patterns that are in the way. And we only ever work with the things that they want to change. So if there's things that are working, great. Or if you like not being able to get on an airplane because you're afraid of flying, because you don't actually want to leave your house, you're really more comfortable being at home, then don't work on that. But if there's things that you do want to work on, then bring that. And I always, in transformational NLP, we always trust the clients. Um, uh, what's what I want to look for? their perception, meaning I will say, I don't know if this is accurate for you. You need to let me know. Does this land for you? Is this aligned with your with your own knowing about yourself and, and feeling into this? I always trust them first. Not I know my techniques work, but some techniques don't work with everybody. And I always trust their experience. If they say, ah, oh, that's not the right word. That's not the place. That's not the thing. Great. We'll go down a different path. Because that is where there's um, most respect for the system and rapport that'll actually help you get to where you need to go. So NLP, we work with the brain. If we, <clears throat> that part of the brain, the critter brain, this critter brain only deals with sensations, images, sounds, flavors, smells, um, touch, all that stuff, right? All of our senses. The conscious brain deals in language. It also has, it appears it has the quality of your life. You make choices, you have consequences, you decide, hmm, I'm gonna have a lavender bubble bath instead of a tea tree bubble bath, right? Back here, the critter brain just wants to know if you've survived or not. So these two can be at odds. The reason you don't have what you want yet is because most of the time, all techniques, books, seminars, meditations are all going through the conscious brain doesn't mean you won't get great insights, but you're just going through the conscious brain. And the conscious brain already knows it wants something different than to struggle and then to feel stress or fear and, and not feel worthy. And if we could go through the conscious brain to get to those patterns where they're rooted, we'd already have what we want. I wouldn't have a job. You can go through this. Um, I'm not knocking any of those things, workshops, seminars, meditations, <clears throat> books. It's just a longer process. It's like walking from California to New York. You can get there. It just may take you a while versus just getting on a plane. So what we do with NLP, because we understand the language of the brain, how the brain works and communicates to allow change and what it needs, because the critter brain actually resists, resists all change. So you need to be able to get in rapport with it and offer it things in its own language 
that it's going to be more amenable to, to allow change to happen. So that's what these techniques do. They're subtle. Um, there's things that I do that you probably don't even notice. You do, uh, there's things we talk about and we look at and I have people do and say, but there's other techniques that I'm doing and looking, looking at their cues to see if I've gotten to the place that we need to get to where the critter brain is calming down and is now going to be open to what we put in. Because that brain, your brain's only ever going to choose the best option, ever. And if it's choosing struggle, stress, not feeling worthy, those are the best options on mm. the plate. So if we can give them other options that it knows it's survivable, then it will allow those to happen. And again, insights from books are great, but they don't get here. And they don't get here directly. They stay up here. Um, I'll give an example. So if a child is raised in a house where they're being hit on the head by a hammer, where they're figuratively or literally hit on the head by a hammer, They'll be like, ah, oh my gosh, you know, and then they survive and they keep going. The critter brain goes, oh, got hit. Did we survive? Oh, we survived. All it cares about, did we survive? Are we dead? Do we survive? Are we dead? And this part of the brain is going, oh my God, I can't wait to be old enough to get away from this, to run next door, to go get sheltered, to go find somewhere else that's safe. You get old enough, 18, your, your executive brain goes, I'm out of here. You move away. The critter brain is going, oh, well, we survived that. We survived it. And after a bit of time, it starts to go, are, are we still alive? And it will start to look for hammers and people with hammers to hit you figuratively or, or literally to know that it's still alive. So it will start to repeat the patterns that you survived as a way to let it know that you're still surviving, which is crazy. But this is how you can see yourself have money, have no money, have money, have no money, have money, have no money or struggle the whole time. Your critter brain is happy to keep that same routine going, to keep you in debt because it knows you can survive. If you're watching this and you're still alive, you've survived. You are surviving those limiting patterns of beliefs and those struggles. So that your critter brain is happy keeping you there until we interrupt it and give it something else. Now, it is running those patterns 24-7. So when we do interrupt it with Again, meditation, affirmations, other things. We're only interrupting it for like 30 minutes or an hour a day. But this is 24-7. And that part of your brain has seniority over your executive brain when you are in a place of stress, struggle, overwhelm. It comes online immediately because it's all about your survival. So the executive part shuts down and the patterns kick in. So this part of the brain, when you've left the actual hammer hitters of your family dynamic, We'll go out there and outsource it to roommates, to relationships, to bosses, to coworkers. It will find other people to bring on that type of stress, that type of situation. This is how we can continually find partners who treat us a certain way, how we continually find jobs that devalue us and then don't pay us what we deserve. This is how we can find roommates that don't respect us, don't see us, because it's our critter brain that goes, yes, that's it, and it lights up, and we think, oh, that feels good, let's do it. And then you realize, oh, I don't want to be in this situation again. And then your executive brain takes over for a second. And then you have a bit of relief and then you go back to the same pattern. Yeah, so you just got to bring in new patterns that the critter brain can go, I can survive it. The critter brain doesn't want change because it doesn't know if the new change is survivable yet. So the work that we do in Transformation NLP is we talk to the brain. We gently bring in things so it goes, oh, I can survive that. I can survive that. And then it can choose. It's like in your own example of um, the anxiety you had 
getting logging into your credit card. It didn't know it could survive not having that. And then we give your critter brain an experience of that it can survive that, and then it goes, okay, I'll choose this experience instead. So now that's your experience. So we can start to do that and build up to the experience you actually want. So how did it happen that quickly? Because it literally was that I saw you, we had maybe an hour together, and then maybe a couple weeks later, the next time I log into my credit card, because I don't do it every week, um, the next week that I did it, or the next time that I did it, it was not there. Like, how did that one session over, or not even that one session, but part of that one session override 30 plus years of experience? It's because, thank you for saying that, because people don't get how powerful this technique is, and they don't believe me. So I can't state it that way personally, because it, I'll just click a charlatan. Yep, yep. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so I thank will you. tell you yeah. that it was bananas that I literally was with Regina on Zoom. It wasn't like even in person. We were on Zoom for an hour. We went through some stuff. There were a lot of tears, not all of that. And then I got off and I, you know, drank a bunch of water, went on my way and I go the next time to log in. And I, and then the following week, my husband and I had kind of like our year end money conversation, which usually I'm defensive during, I have anxiety during, I'm snapping at him. And then I, I literally am sitting next to him like, you realize that I am not freaking out at you right now. <laughs> so yes, it is powerful. And he witnessed it. He's like, yeah, this is actually a pleasant conversation that we're having, you know, because we're talking about good things that had happened, you know, wasn't like, you know, neither of us had like tremendous losses or anything like that. Like we were, we just were reviewing our financials for the year and then the year coming up and that was it. And it was just, yeah. So I, I will be the person that says like literally in one session, such a big thing can shift. Not obviously I can't guarantee it myself, but that's my experience personally. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it, it's because again, we're going to the place where the belief is sourced, where it's rooted. And when you shift it where it's rooted, then it's permanently shifted. It's significant and it's subtle. It is subtle. It's not like, you know, the heavens parted and angels sang and, you know, doves were released. It's like, okay, that's over. And then you go, huh, I, I wasn't upset by that. Or that person didn't bug me the way they used to bug me. Like I used to get all, ah, I'm like, oh, hmm. I actually walked out the door without even thinking twice to go to the gym. Weird. I didn't think about what, what's in my queue or what I could potentially watch. That's <laughs> so it is, it's really about, this is why I love this work. And I've been a coach, I've been a participant, and I've led so many other different modalities because I love self-help and I love self-transformation. And I've finally gotten to this place where this is um, – again, subtle, permanent, significant change in ways that really takes the person into consideration in an entirety. But it's really, the simple thing is, is getting in rapport with that part of their brain that is freaking out and giving it another option in a way that the brain can allow it. Um, it's the best way I can say it, again, using the language of that part of the brain and then um, letting it letting it uh, do the rest. Because once we do a shift like that, the pattern then um, recedes and the new pattern comes in. And I think another um, part of your work that I found particularly interesting was the 
the link of these patterns and beliefs and how they're rooted in our family dynamics. Oh, yeah. Like the inherited family um, loyalties? Mm -hmm. Yes. So there's so much on this. I love this work too. <laughs> so there's, there's the beliefs that we create, the associations we create as children um, in a stressful environment that's going on. And then there's stuff that we inherit by choice from our families. So all little beings, all little babies are born in this world, just bundles of love. And all they want to do is give love and help. And when you're in that place, you can sense where there's pain, where there's upset, where there's trauma, where there's hurt. And so these little baby beings want to help. So they will, again, it's not from a conscious because we don't have language yet. It's from a place of, oh, you're in pain. I will take on that pain for you so you don't have to have it. Or you're depressed in your pain and you feel alone. I will take on that depression too so you're not alone in your depression. And so what happens in that is they take it on as a way to heal the family out of love, loyalty, and a sense of belonging. But no child has ever been successful in doing that. All they have done is proliferated the pain, is continuing it for another generation. This is how you can see generations of um, financial turmoil, depression, um, sadness, all these different things, pain and suffering, can happen for generations because that next generation is trying to heal the previous generation and take it on as a way of showing love when really it doesn't help them. So in this work, one thing I always try to underline is the best gift you can give your family and the people around you is to be responsible for your own happiness. Is when you are happy, you actually set everyone else free. So they don't actually have to, on some level, monitor your happiness or monitor um, their own in response to that. It doesn't mean you can't have upsetting days or be sad. It's just um, something to consider. Mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense right like that our families have such an impact on like the way that we behave and our beliefs and all of that and you know during your your most recent course you kind of shared how like with your like father's side you in, in like you get this perspective of money and then your mother's side you get this perspective on money. Like, can you share a little bit about that? Yes. I think I, um, yeah. So my father's side, they're farmers. So there's, um, you have to work hard. 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 And, um, and when you work hard and you deserve it, then it's like, oh, it's great. And then you're like, oh, it's like sacrifice. And when you grow up in that, then I think that's exactly how it's supposed to be. And so every time I go to earn money, it would be hard. I have to work. It'd have to be a sacrifice to get it. And that's actually not true. It's just a belief that I bought into because that's what the water I was swimming, that's what I was raised with. And to the point where when I left working for the family business and started doing this full time, I actually felt guilty not having to work hard from eight to five every day. You know, I was like, oh, my day is different. And then I couldn't wait for Fridays because I was like, oh, I, I don't feel guilt because it's the weekend. I'm not supposed to be working. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to shake that. I did some exercises. I did some, and I was like, oh, wow. And now there's no guilt. I work when I work. I love it. It's easy. Money comes easy. These are the things that I practice as an example. In my mother's family, um, 
Oh, I'm trying to give the example that I had. They were also ranchers of livestock of sheep, but for them, they didn't have, they didn't actually have cash in their hand. They just had like sheep. If they needed money, they'd sell sheep and they could buy groceries or gas. But there was also a place for my mother where there was shame in that she didn't get to have her own money. So there's a bit of also like not being able to talk about money, not being able to um, be excited about the money you have, no matter how much or how little, because she's not really allowed to have money. And she was also married at a time where, you know, father, my father worked and she raised all the four kids. So she wasn't able to have her own money when she wanted to go back to work and buy a car for herself. She had a car, but she wanted to actually have her own money and buy a car. My dad said no. And she had to fight because it wasn't okay because he's working hard. She has a role. And these are all beliefs that are passed down that then I'm swimming in as a child and I'm being raised around. And so I had to shift some of those beliefs too. Like, oh, it's actually really okay for me to have my own money. And it's really okay for me to spend on my own, my own money on myself. And it's okay for me to spend money on other people. Mm. Um, and it's also okay for me to have someone else buy me lunch without feeling I owe them or I, we do this a lot. Like someone gives you a compliment, you feel like you have to give a compliment back. There's this big, uh, 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 and to just be able to say, thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's more choice from that place versus the nervousness, the anxiety of like, how do I repay this? How do I get back? You're then in this place instead of in this, thank you. And then the person who's gifting you something um, actually feels seen themselves and they actually feel that you receive what they've offered well. And that's mm. a huge gift because someone can't be a giver unless you take their gift. Someone can't be a giver until you take their gift. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way. Because you're basically like if you're, if you kind of um, dismiss it, you're basically like, I don't want this compliment or whatever it is and take it away. Yeah, if I try to give you a birthday yeah. gift and you say, no, don't want it, then I can actually give it to you. So then it's still with me. People um, I run into a lot have a lot of guilt or worry about what it's going to obligate them when they receive something from somebody. What they don't realize is the power is actually in the person who's receiving it because you can actually take it or not take it. And if you don't take it, you don't take it. And if you take it, you take it. But I can't be a giver until you say yes and take what I have to offer. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, beautiful it changes things right yeah. and then as a giver you're at the mercy of someone being willing to take what you're offering and we can take things graciously and we can also take things with boundaries mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. the um i was gonna go go with this the idea of of everything kind of being set by the time you're six mm. is a bit mm. overwhelming. And I remember the um, when I was working with you that first time, and I was like, oh, there's a memory from when I was six. Oh, I was six. Oh, I was six. <laughs> it was just like this really bizarre thing. And I go to my husband, and I'm like, everything happened by the time I was six. Because even before you kind of actually said, by the time you're six, you have all of this like imprinted in your body. As as parents, what do we do? Like, I have a seven-year-old. Like, she's <laughs> offset. <laughs> she's done. She's baked. She's done. I have no control. My humor would say you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I think that if I were listening, I would be, 
uh, that would be kind of my reaction. Like, oh my gosh, I've messed up royally. I have messed up my child for her whole life. Like, or I pass on these beliefs that I, I didn't even realize I was passing out. I mean, because you don't know what you don't know. And, but there is this, like, especially in our society, like the mom guilt and all of that. How do, how do, how do, how can I come to terms with the fact that like, I haven't royally screwed up? Well, my first question is, what lets you know that you really, really screwed up? And see there, I would, I would take this whole process because, <laughs> you know, there's that piece of like, <gasps> yeah. but in a general sense, because for everyone, it'll be different, right? Um, and in a general sense, I'll say, we're all humans having a human experience. When we come down or we show up to have this meat suit, to be in this 3D world from, let's say, the other side of the veil or these um, non-human body forms, whatever your beliefs are, we actually want the highs and the lows. We actually want the emotions and the and the growth. And it doesn't have to be struggle. It doesn't have to be hard and struggle. That part, um, we our consciousness is evolving and moving away from. Lessons don't have to be hard anymore. We can actually have what we want with ease. That struggle, that time is ending. So it's okay wherever your child's at, whatever you did, you did your best, you love them. And they are going to have things to work on in this lifetime, and that's what they want. Nobody wants to come in in this experience and just float and coast through it. They actually want things to explore, inquire about, learn from, and experience. So it's okay. We do the best we can. And what I say now, as we have this conversation, again, find what makes you happy. The best example, no matter what age, is that you're happy and you can show your child how to be happy in your life, whatever it is. And granted, it's also being authentic when you need to be sad or upset, but there's also this place where we carry stress and struggle um, and it starts to coat our day and coats our energy instead of us just being like, oh, here we are. This is our day. We're going through. I'm happy or I'm happy in this moment with my child. That does wonderful things for a child to be seen and to be experiencing you and knowing it's possible to have happiness. It doesn't have to be 24-7, but to know that, that happiness is possible. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does. A lot of permission to be who you are. and I wouldn't say they're mistakes. They're just life. We're having a human experience. Just to be reminded of that every once in a while. Yeah, of course. But it is interesting how my reaction is actually something you could work on because that is that that reaction is triggered by something within me that is that I guess is threatening my survival of some sort on some level. Well, it's personal to you. Not everybody listening has that same concern. Like I'll say, yeah, I'm sure there's things I've done to my son who's two and a half that I didn't intentionally do, but happened, whether I, my patience was gone or whatever it was, I'm a human, but I don't worry that I, um, I'll use your words, royally screwed him up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a flavor of what's, uh, of you and what's in your, what's the pattern that's running for you or the beliefs that they're the concern, which are, I'm sure they're all valid concerns. Um, but is it useful to continually worry about that versus spending more time raising your child or being with your mm. child, right? So that's where I start to look. Like, what's useful? Is it useful to have that concern or is it useful to be present and, you know, play blocks or play grocery store? Yeah. yeah. 
Okay. And so that leads me to, where was I going with this? That leads me to where? Well, can I offer something? Yeah, of course. In general, there are beliefs that people have about money. There's three that are very common. I always like to share um, that aren't true, but you know, people have them as if they are true because it can't be a belief if it's not true. Mm -hmm. um, they will say things like to themselves or in the world, once I have money, I'll feel secure. Once I have so much money in the bank, I will be free. Money is not your freedom or your security. You actually are. Money can serve you best when it serves those ends, but it's not an end in and of itself. Because how many people do we know who work really hard and they're not free? And we all know people who don't work that hard, yet money comes easily. And we know people who have a lot of money who don't take time to enjoy themselves because they're so worried about losing it or it not being enough that they can't stop working. They never take vacations. That is a scarcity mindset, even if they have lots and lots of money. They just can't stop. And there are plenty of people with a lot of money who don't feel secure and don't feel free. And there are people who don't have a lot of money who actually feel secure and free. So money is not actually what gives you security or freedom. It certainly can serve you best towards those, but it's not an end in of itself. It will not automatically give you that experience of feeling secure and free. Mm. The other belief is um, money is not what keeps you stuck or allows you to move. Because we've all heard of lottery winners who go bankrupt within two or three years of winning. It's not the money. It's their beliefs around money that keeps them stuck and has that money dissipate. We've seen young celebrities shoot to fame quickly and then totally trash their lives. And I know a lot of people with money who will not allow themselves to do the things that they want to do. And you probably know these people too. You probably know a lot of people who don't have much money but always seem to do the things that they want, go on their vacations or take time off. It just works out somehow. So I just want to underline it's a belief that we often have that keep us stuck. And it's those limiting beliefs about um, themselves, whether it's a celebrity or lottery winner, that has that money disappear and go away. The idea that you have to have enough money is just a function of beliefs. Because some people never have enough money, no matter how much they have. That makes sense. And it makes me also think of like one of the first things you said to me was like money in itself is a belief, a social belief, right? Across, across our society of how how much it's actually worth and like, and all of that. Yeah. And we're the only species that measures our worth through money because your worth is immeasurable and eternal. Money cannot add to it or take it away, nor can a lack of money do that. But we try so hard to measure our worth by money. The fact that we measure it at all is again, human, but because we try to measure our worth and we're the only species that also finds it lacking <laughs> that then we try to augment it with struggle, with um, sacrifice. Like, oh, I worked so hard, but it was worth it. Oh my God, I worked mm. so hard. And we do that to try to show it was worth it. Like I have a friend who I adore, but she'll be like, oh my God, I drove all over town. I went to 15 stores, you know, and I finally found the thing I'm looking for. But her telling me how much she struggled makes her feel like she did something that day. And I'm like, wow, if you have that belief, then you will have to go to 15 stores to find what you want. Or you will have to struggle that hard to have the money that you want. Um, when you have that belief that that's the way to show your worth, when it's not. Because if you, you know, if you line up a bunch of two-year-olds, like a dozen of them, how many of those kids um, are worthless? 
They don't have a job. They don't have money. But they don't have. But but they're not worthless, right? None of them are worthless. They're human beings. But we measure ourselves by how much money we have or don't have, or how much struggle we've had um, to make it okay for us to be wherever we think we are in life in our worth and deserving, which is unfortunate because we never get enough of a sense that we actually are and our worth is immeasurable and eternal. We're, we're actually perfect exactly where we are. The fact that you're here in this spot is enough. There's nothing more you need to do. I don't know too many other NLP practitioners, um, but I imagine not all of them work with money mm. or maybe not any of them. I don't know. But why, why, how did you come to combine these two topics together? I had a really great mentor. Um, and I love money because, again, it's a lens. It, it magnifies, intensifies how we view ourselves. And my course isn't really about money. It will shift in my work. It will shift how money, how you experience money and how it shows up. But it really gets to how you feel about yourself, how you relate to yourself, how you see yourself. And that, to me, is the crux. I could use a lot of other things to get there, too. I could actually put a course out there that says, uh, get more in alignment with yourself, have more rapport with yourself, and have a great life. That's not as intriguing to people um, who struggle around money. It's not because there's so much struggle around money. I mean, look at our society today after the pandemic and all these things, right? People are like, ah, my whole life has been displaced. So... I can actually help more people coming through the lens of money because that is a pain that people can immediately identify with and look at and speak to. When I talk about it in a more general sense about who you are, your report yourself, it feels like a luxury to tackle that because mm -hmm. they're still struggling with money. They're still trying to pay their rent or get a better job or, you know, have enough. So, because I've looked, I've been that person on that side with a scarcity mindset and struggling, and that's how I felt. And I dismissed a lot of people who offered that work. Whether that would have worked for me or not, I don't know. But because it was like I'm too busy trying to make myself okay and to feel okay and secure in providing for myself, I don't have time for this. But when you talk about the pain that's immediate, then you can actually get to what's behind it which is their beliefs about themselves and which come from, again, those childhood patterns, inherited family loyalties, and their identity that have been locked up from a very young age. So when we shift that, then money can show up differently. They can show up differently. They can feel differently. And the world doesn't have to change for them. We can still be in a pandemic and things can feel calm. You can feel secure and safe within yourself. And you could still be in lockdown. Hmm. I can definitely agree, like agree or say that I, when I read what you wrote, and if you had written it about kind of in general versus money, I wouldn't have reacted the way that I did, because it it did like hit a certain note. And so, if you're seeking to make impact, then it makes total sense that this would be something that you'd focus on. I also think it's just like an enormously like. I think you look for the fun and humor and things like it's also like it seems like it's just a really fun topic like there's just so many ways of going around it and like your creativity around how you're working with people is um i don't know it just i, I watch you do your work and i'm like oh my gosh like how did she like <laughs> do it it's just amazing 
Thank you. It is fun. I love it because um, what I also love is it gives me concrete examples when I'm out in the world of my, my own life, when I need something to work out. And I'm like, oh, look, there it is. I know I can figure this out. And I know this can be easier. And I tell these stories um, like I'm selling this house that I own and my tenant used to take care of the pool. So I knew, moved my tenants out so that um, it would be empty you know, to sell. And so I need to find someone to take care of the pool. And first of all, we're, we're in a chlorine shortage amongst other things. So when I went to buy chlorine from the pool place, like, no, you get one bottle. And I was like, that won't help my pool. And then I started calling pool services and my house is in a more rural area. And they said, no, you're too far out. Number two, we don't have enough staff because we're all in shortage. And number three, we don't have the chlorine for new clients because we have to service our existing clients. So it was no, 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 no. And I kept getting no's. And I was starting to get worried because my pool's turning green. And, um, you know, who wants to buy a green pool? It, it wasn't a pond. It's definitely a pool. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I just sat and go, oh, wait a second. I know how to do this. Like, I know how to make this easy. This is my work. So I literally got a call back in a half hour. Like, I just stopped because I was like, I, I don't need to go down this path. It's just going to work itself out. I got a call back and this guy goes, I can do your pool. And I was like, great. And he's like, I can see it tomorrow. Great. And then what I'd also put out there, what I'd also created was I want it to be affordable. This man charged me the same price I paid six years ago before my tenant moved in. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had inflation. We've had a pandemic. There's oh, a yeah. shortage. I laughed. I was like, this is just another example of how things can work out. They don't have to be stressful. Looking for, for pool service could take all day. We know what that's like when something you need to fix. You're like, oh, I, don't, I have to deal with this thing now because there's change going on or whatever. And, oh, it's taking all my day. And I'm stressed. And I can't find my person. Ah, like that stuff starts to amp up and starts to take on and take on. And then next thing you know, at the end of the night, you're like, oh, and I still got to deal with this thing. And I was like, no, actually, this can be easy. And it was an incredibly affordable. And I went on with my day. So this Boy. is what when we get those blocks out of the way that things have to be hard, that we have to augment our worth with struggle. I mean, during that period between that last phone call and the return phone call, like what did you do? Did you just shift your mindset? Did you shift some internal beliefs within you? Like, tell me. (laughs) I know. And, and I will say it this way. Um, Yes. And it's because I've done this work and I've gotten, almost all of the blocks out. I mean, if something pops up, it's like, oh, I just, it's like a little pebble in my shoe. I ping it out of the way. But I went, wait a second. I'm going down a path of struggle. It actually doesn't have, I literally said to myself, it doesn't have to be like this. This is what I'd like. I'd like for this to work out. And this is what I'd like to have. Okay. I'm not going to go do something else. Hmm. And I just removed myself because I have, if I hadn't removed the blocks, I would still keep getting the experience of, you got to work harder. You got to struggle for my family. You got to work hard to have it. You got to work hard to have it. Not just money, but things in life. Got to work hard. Got to work hard. And it would have been a two, three, four day, two week process. Who knows? Until my internal unconscious brain had decided I'd worked hard enough. <laughs> you know, and who knows what that looks like, right? I don't know what my creative brain says is enough when the stress has gotten high enough. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And I've had many examples like that since. And I just go, oh yeah, that's right. I'll tell you this one's really funny. I'm trying to link to different banks that I have. This is an account. One with money to move it to one that doesn't have money. And um, I have 
been trying and they want all this information. And I'm like, I don't use a debit card. I don't use a, uh, a checkbook for this bank. This bank I use for something else. But I need all this information to be able to link it to this other bank. And I'd get on the phone and it'd be like customer service and they'd drop off. And all of a sudden I just go, I don't want to deal with this more. I'm actually done. And I go, I don't want to spend my time on the phone doing all these things, right? I said, I just have other things to do. I just, I want it to be easier. It's just going to have to work out differently. And I will work on this in two days. So literally I went to bed the next morning I woke up and all of a sudden it hit me. And for some people, this would have been an obvious solution. But instead of going from bank A to bank B, connect bank B to bank A. It was so easy. It took me three minutes. <laughs> I have been working on this, like, like wanting to do it, not wanting to do it, calling, going, screw it, and taking time off for weeks. Like, and I'm like, and it's been looming. Like, I need to go do this. And I'm like, oh, they want all this stuff that I, I don't use this bank, bank. I don't use the bank in this way. So where am I going to get that stuff? And you have to call someone to get that stuff and go back. Mm -hmm. and I was like, ah, I don't want to do it that. So I go about, and I realized, oh, do it the opposite way. Go from the bank that has no money to the bank that has money and pull it in. Anything. But, it, but it's like, it's like that other option that choice showed up because I let the noise go. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to get out of the noise when there's that pattern of having to struggle, right? And this is how things feel. And then my critter brain comes down and goes, oh, you, you're alive. You're survived because that stress level's here. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I could pick your brain for, I think, years. <laughs> and I will after this podcast episode. <laughs> I love, please. I love it. I love talking about this. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's, I, I love that this is such a, a technique that kind of gets to the source. I was sharing in another Facebook group because someone was posting about kind of like feeling stressed and like, and like, what do you, what kind of techniques do people use? And I said, you know, I've been, I, and I have taken some of like some other work I've done and like what I've learned in your course as well. And just like, I'll do some like just inner child stuff and, and I'm like, we need this, and I find relief in it. And I don't know if I, it shifts it on the level that it would if I was working directly with you. But knowing that, you know, there are these tools out there that actually help us kind of get to like the root of the problem. That's kind of like what I'm all about. It's like, how do you just well, get all the way down there and just pull it out instead of just, you know, whacking it with a, with a, a clipper or a lawnmower every week. Um, yeah. yeah. So I just love that. Um, one question I ask all my guests is what is one thing you know to be true? That we are creators. It's really our superpower. It's our birthright. We create our experiences here. And so if you are having one you don't like, then there's something in the way. And when things get better for you, then things can get better for each of us. So for you to want, um, something and to have it it's not selfish it actually helps the planet to heal because when i see that you're happy and you're getting what you want with ease then i realize it's possible for me too and it the more of us that are out there creating the lives that we want the more examples that it's possible so the less people can fight up against it has to be hard there's less evidence that it has to be a struggle so and we need more joy love and happiness and it starts with each of us having it and then being examples that we can have it in the world. That I know to be true. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much for 
coming on today and sharing and I I just oh I will have everyone you know I will ask you because um the next question is like how do people get in touch with you because I want everyone to find you to sign up your, for your courses to learn from you because I, I just think that this work is just revolutionary oh thank you um I'll give you the, the link if people want to do my course that's launching soon. But otherwise, right now, the best place to email me um, is moneybeliefsbydesign at gmail.com. Amazing. It's and funny. I, I do all this work, but I don't have a website up yet. I'll get which, there. Which, again, it's like I I just think like you – I love when I listen to podcasts like about like business and stuff. I love hearing the people who are like – oh, I don't use social media. I don't have a website. I don't, you know, because there's all these stories that we're told, like you have to do it a certain way. You have to, um, you have to check all the boxes. And then I love getting validation from other people who are like, oh, I'm not doing that. That's like, I've like, I'm able to do this thing that I love to do. And that is making an impact without having all this extra stuff that you know, I'll get to eventually. Yes. Thank you. It's true. It's like, People kept telling me, oh, you need a newsletter, whether it's weekly or monthly or quarterly. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I actually don't want to um, feel like I have to produce something for people because then that takes away from my quality of my life. I want um, to do what I love to do and have it work for the life that I want to have. So I'll eventually have a website. I'm hoping in 2022 I'll actually put it together. I don't have a belief around it. Like I don't have anything in the way. I'm just doing what I'm doing and I love it. But I also don't feel the need I have to keep reminding people that there's value here. I don't have to keep being in mm. front of people. For me, and everyone who wants to do a newsletter, please do it. There's nothing wrong with it. But how it was showing up for me is if I do that, then I'm in a scarcity place that people are going to forget that there's value and I'm in competition and I have to keep your attention on my stuff and away or or that all the noise that you're getting, I have to keep showing up. And I actually find there's more value when I send the email out, um, if you hear from me less, mm -hmm. and I don't believe there's a scarcity, and other modalities may work better for you, and then please go do it. I have no problem with that. There's enough for everybody to find what you want. Beautiful. And um, I know that you kind of have a longer email, but I, I think I'll, I, I can direct folks to my, like, I can direct them okay. to my website and, like, a shorter, you go to lisaforreal.com slash Regina, and then that'll direct you to Regina's work in her upcoming course which is starting December 12th December 12th so I will be there so I hope whoever's listening um come join and bring your friends and your family because your world's gonna get rocked for a few weeks <laughs> yes and come sooner because we're we're doing some prelim stuff too um but you're welcome anytime we'd love to have you yeah thank, thank you Regina you. oh thank you this has been so, so great <laughs> I love and adore you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in today. A great big thank you to Medfield TV for their support and editing this episode. Living an inspired life is a worthy endeavor. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Be sure to subscribe in your preferred podcast player for future real conversations. And if any part of this episode made you think of a friend, let them know that they aren't alone in their journey and share all the things with them. If you'd like to stay in touch, hop on over to lisaforreal.com and sign up for my daily blogs or find me on Instagram at Reclaiming Motherhood. See you next time.